Welcome to Medical Minefield, the podcast where we talk about the ethical dilemmas at the heart of the health stories that matter the most. I am Barney Kalman. And I am Eve Simmons. And we are health journalists, which means we spend our lives asking tough questions to top experts so you don't have to. This week we're asking, is it right that airlines rely on medically trained passengers to help when people fall ill on flights? As always, we'd like to know what you think. If you've got a question or have something to say, you can do so on Twitter using the hashtag MedicalMinefield. Eve, have you seen snakes on an aeroplane? Uh, no, I haven't actually, but obviously I know about it. It's very good. High quality, high quality viewing. Ethan? Oh, hi. Oh, hi. <laughs> <laughs> I have seen snakes on an aeroplane. What do you think? There are a lot of snakes. It's not exactly a documentary, though, is it? Whereas airplane... What's the quote, the famous quote? I've had enough of the... These goddamn... (laughs) (laughs) Snakes on this bleep plane. Well, you don't want to get bitten by a snake on an airplane, because if you did, it may well be down to chance as to whether or not there's a doctor who knew what they were doing on the flight to come and pitch in and help out and rescue you. That's Basically. true for everything, isn't it? It's not just snake bites. No, it's it's not just snake bites. In fact, I don't think snake bites are a common problem that happens on aeroplanes. However, things like uh, heart attacks or seizures or stomach troubles are one of the most common things. Uh, Ethan Ennels, our reporter, has been looking into this issue and the wider picture of the fact that, in fact, airlines rely on the kindness of strangers and the fact that they generally... On most flights, someone who has some medical training will be a passenger rather than providing expert medical care themselves. So that's, I mean, you, you must have heard the, the Tannoy announcement. Is there make, a doctor the, make on Make yourself board? available to cabin crew. Yeah. I mean, I thought it was something that you see in the films. I, I was very surprised to find out that, there, no, that it is true. There is actually no provision, really, well, apart from relying on the kindness of people kindness on the plane. Uh, but Ethan, there's some interesting facts around this. How often do people fall ill on airplanes? A surprising amount. According to the New England Journal of Medicine, it's roughly one in every 600 flights, which at first reading doesn't sound like much. But when you consider that there are 1,300 flights out of Heathrow every day, that makes you realise that every day in the UK, there are at least several occasions where a doctor has been called for on a flight. Well, that's Heathrow alone. I mean, you know, there are must be hundreds of thousands of flights every day. So that's a lot of, is there a doctor on board announcements being mm. made? Mm. I mean, we, we know from past studies that nine in 10 doctors will have some point been asked to help out on an airplane. So what, what exactly is the policy that you've discovered? I mean, what are airlines obliged to provide in terms of medical assistance? Well, it's first important to say that cabin crew, of course, are given extensive and repeated first day training. But because they're not medically trained, they can't engage in any sort of medical treatment which would uh, require of qualification. So should a passenger fall ill, all airlines would freely admit that their first port of call is making an announcement and asking if someone is medically trained on the plane. That means that they'd be able to do something simple as give an injection, which you cannot do if you're not medically trained. But it also can lead to more severe action being taken. For example, if a patient has a stroke or another similarly life-threatening condition, the doctor would be called on to make the decision to land the plane. Obviously, not land it themselves, but tell the pilot to land. Mm. A, a decision which can cost 
hundreds of thousands of pounds for airlines. And it's a doctor until two minutes ago was probably half asleep in their seat eating you said, a pack of nuts. You said give injections. Does that mean that every airline has to have a sort of bag of stuff mm, with yeah. injections and that kind of thing? Good point. So all airlines in the UK are required to have a medical kit on board. The medical kit is pretty well stocked. It has over 60 different items and that includes adrenaline for allergic reactions. It includes medication for people with diabetes or antibiotics for infections. One thing which is interesting is that airlines which are doing short-haul flights across land, so not across sea, aren't required to have a defibrillator in the plane, which you know is obviously very necessary when someone has a cardiac arrest. So there are small airlines in Europe and around the world which don't actually carry a defibrillator. One of the most interesting things I saw in the piece was uh, apparently nine in ten doctors surveyed said that they had been called on during a flight mm. to attend to an ill passenger. So 90% of doctors... Well, I think that's have, have, very surprising. I, I would have thought it would have been much fewer than that. And you've heard some pretty astonishing stories this week. I've heard some absolutely astounding stories, both amazing in their ingenuity, but also horrifying that doctors were ever put in this position in the first place. For one, I mean, every doctor I spoke to this week has at least done this once, if not twice. One doctor said he's had it four times. And several of these have been, you know, life-threatening situations. One doctor I spoke to, a urologist up in Liverpool, had to insert an oxygen tube through an incision in a woman's chest, otherwise she was going to die because she couldn't breathe due to lung problems. He had to use a coat hanger to get the tubing in because the tubing which came in the medical kit wasn't designed for this kind of procedure. So if he hadn't thought on his feet, the woman would have died and he would have been presiding over her when she did. Yikes. And who takes responsibility in that situation? I guess that's the key here, isn't it? That if something goes wrong when a doctor on a plane is tending to a passenger, is that the fault of the doctor or the aircraft? Well, thankfully for doctors, they are mostly immune from any sort of negligence claim. There's something called a Good Samaritan Clause, which is recognised in international law, which means that medical professionals can't be prosecuted for helping out in an emergency situation. However, you know, it's it's a lot to put on a doctor. No one wants to be the doctor who failed. No one wants to be landed with a patient they, they can't possibly help. And doctors I spoke to have said that increasingly they do really just put their head down and hope someone else deals with it because it's something they don't want to have to do. There was actually quite an amusing case in 2016 of a Devon-based GP who, who helped a woman out on a flight to Greece who was having breathing difficulties. When he had stabilised her, he asked the uh, air stewardess for a free Kit Kat at the very least and they refused him that. And, you know, and that's well, the, that's the situation. Not even a Kit Kat. Not was, even it, a Kit was it Ryanair? It was, and he had to pay £1.20 for it. Ryanair. So it was easy, Jay. It was easy, Jay. I think he got off lightly with Ryanair. Usually <laughs> he gets a slap in the face. <laughs> but, yeah, that's, that's the long and short of it, really, for me. And what I've learned is that it's a really tough position for these doctors, and I think all of them would like to see some sort of change. Well, before we go any further, let's speak to a doctor who has been in this situation. On the line now, we have Dr. David Strain, who is Senior Clinical Lecturer at University of Exeter Medical School. Dr. Strain, thanks very much for finding some time to talk to us. Today, we're discussing whether it's right that airlines rely so heavily on medically qualified passengers to step in when another passenger falls ill. And this is something that's happened to you, I believe. Yes, I've had a a few occasions, actually. I was involved in 
a fair number of episodes of traveling either with work or once traveling on holiday with the family with different degrees of severity depending on what was going on at the time. Take us through a, a couple of the incidents. So they've ranged from the, the very minor. So um, there's been people who are just having panic attacks, for example, as at least two occasions. And what, what do you do with that? Well, actually, it's just the very simple things of uh, just calming down, talking. The, the good old paper bag is still incredibly effective when people are doing that. Breathing into a paper bag. Exactly, in and out of the paper bag. <laughs> um, but then also, I think part of it is the knowledge that there, there is a medically qualified yeah. person there. Uh, we put, use the finger probe to make sure that they don't have a lack of oxygen. A very quick listen to the heart and the, the lungs. And actually, that is as much for reassurance yeah. as it is to actually do anything. But they feel that if they've had the wants over and they know that it, there is nothing more wrong, that does help people calm down very quickly. I think I think Eve had a question about the paper bag. <laughs> I was going to save it to afterwards, but I'll do it now. What actually is it about the paper bag that works, Dr. Strain? What, is it placebo or is there something magical about breathing into a paper bag? The, the, it is actually a, a well-recognised procedure. So when you get the lightheadedness because you're breathing too quickly, it's because you're blowing off carbon dioxide. So um, every time you breathe, you're both taking in oxygen and blowing off carbon dioxide. If you blow off too much carbon dioxide too quickly, it does change the pH of your blood very, very slightly. And that opens up blood vessels and it means that you do get that head rush and you feel very, very dizzy. If you're breathing in and out of that paper bag, you're actually then breathing your own carbon dioxide back in, which means that you don't lower that carbon dioxide quite as much and you don't get that same dizzy feeling from it. And actually, with the, the rapid breathing that you get in a panic attack, it, it's almost a self-perpetuating. The rapid breathing makes you feel dizzy. That makes you absolutely convinced that something's not right. Um, and therefore, you breathe a bit quicker, and then you get more dizzy and so on. And just by stopping that dizzy feeling that you get from the, the hyperventilation, it does tend to slow the breathing down. Fascinating. Have there, have there been more serious events that you've attended to as well? Yes, uh, there's been a few more serious events. There was one actually on a trip when I was traveling with the family where a chap had a stroke on board a plane. We were just setting off. Yikes. When you're having a stroke, it's a blood clot that's blocking off that blood vessel to the brain. And you have a very short time window in order to fix that. You've got maximum four and a half hours and ideally in the first two hours or so. So on that particular occasion, we had to recommend to the pilot that he should down the plane as quickly as possible before we left the American airspace so that the patient could then be got to the, the hospital and get the essential treatment that he needed. Otherwise, the eight-hour flight back to the UK, it would have been tremendous amount of his brain tissue would have died and as a result he would never have got better. I have to say, knowing other doctors, everyone seems to have at least one anecdote like this and most people seem extremely, it sounds ungenerous, but people seem reluctant to stand up or often say that they'd rather not because it's such a huge responsibility. What do you think about that? Well, it is a huge responsibility. And one of the issues in the UK, we have a culture where to do one's best is seen as enough depending on where you are, whereas there are other cultures where if you're seen helping out to the best of your ability within the limitations of being you know, inside a tin can at 30,000 feet, 
that would still potentially uh, instigate lawsuits for these Good Samaritan Acts. So there are people who are reluctant for that reason, just because the fear of litigation. But actually, there's, there's far more basic concerns. Many doctors, or the vast majority of doctors, are actually not particularly good at first aid. It, it comes as a surprise to many. I mean, I, I do first aid because I'm involved in the, the scouting movement. But actually, we don't do first aid. We do what's termed second aid when we've got the investigations, we've got the x-rays, we've got a whole host of other things in play. And therefore, uh, we are not necessarily that first person you want. Actually, if I was to have an emergency on an airplane, I'd probably want a paramedic because they are far more used to dealing with those emergency settings with a, a limited piece of equipment. And therefore, that's possibly or probably the person that I'd be want uh, looking after me in that first phase. I, I mean, I'd, I'd go back on what I said. And, and, and yes, people are reluctant. But but generally, you know, everyone has an anecdote about how they tend to have stood up if no one else does. But do you think it's right that airlines... It's almost something that people don't slightly believe, that, that actually airlines always seem to rely on the kindness of doctors amongst the passengers in order to deal with these situations. This is a, a really difficult question to ask because the reality is we spend quite literally years in training or decades in training, to, depending on whereabouts you're, you're up to in your career. And... In the UK, we have an overall shortage of doctors. We don't have enough doctors to fill the senior roles within emergency departments and the hospitals or the primary care. To start putting competition that they, these airlines should then have their doctors on a plane as part of staff almost seems, uh, well, firstly, the doctors don't exist. And secondly, does it a cost-effective use of the airline staff to do it? And the other thing to remember, the air stewards, the, the guys that we, we tend to think about as up at the front doing the mask demonstration and delivering the meals, they have a tremendous amount of expertise. They are all very well trained to deal with the emergencies, to deal with that first aid provision, not just when the plane's going down, but if the things go wrong. It's only if they need above and beyond that they, they call on the doctors. And it is an expertise that we've built up and providing it's within our expertise Many of us are very, very happy to give the time. But again, within the expertise is the other element. You know, I, I work in general medicine. I work with a large number of these emergencies. If you are a, a trained gynecologist or if you're a trained orthopedic surgeon, then a person having a stroke is not something that you would be any more trained to look after than any other person who's been trained in the, the necessaries of first aid. Mm. What would one do in that situation if it was completely outside their area of expertise? I mean, I suppose you could monitor someone, you could check their breathing, but beyond that, what I mean, what else could you do, really? It's beyond your area of expertise. The, the, the people tend not to come forward or they just say, yes, well, there's nothing I can do here other than first aid, which you can already do. And I mean, it, it has happened to me the other way around that there's been calls on to um, deliver a baby on planes, for example, now. I have absolutely no expertise in gynecology or obstetrics. I vaguely remember delivering some babies back in medical school too many years ago to admit. Well, that's more than anyone in this room, <laughs> yeah. I think. I was quite impressed at that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the reality is that was outside my expertise. I could provide some basic support. And actually, when you're at 30,000 feet, the basic support is 
all that we had available. But there are times that outside of your expertise, then it's just absolutely no good whatsoever. And most physicians would rather pull away and say, look, I don't know any more than you. Therefore, I'm just going to muddy the waters. Uh, hang on. So, so you did deliver a baby? Uh, I, I have actually, yes, delivered a baby once on an aeroplane. It wasn't particularly a good story. Um, it's somebody who shouldn't have been on an airline because they were getting complications of their pregnancy already. And they jumped on a plane to, uh, to come back from India to the UK and unfortunately had a really tragic delivery on the plane that ultimately resulted in the baby not making it and actually the mum not doing very well at all oh, either. Uh, and that was one that literally within seconds of the plane, we had the paramedics up there ready to take both mum and baby away. And unfortunately, the baby just didn't survive that. Oh, my goodness. That kind of thing must haunt you. It, it, it is. It's the trying going over that saying, you know, could I have done anything different? And, um, you know, as we go through it, and that's one that I did inquire about. And it turns out that there were already complications and nobody was expecting baby to survive. But the question then comes back is, why was that person on an aeroplane without some sort of medical accompaniment, medical escorts? Because there are many times where we do provide medical escorts. If people are severely unwell, if people are sick or they're going abroad for treatments or coming to the UK for treatments, it is usual for people to go with those medical escorts. So those predictable events should be provided with the appropriate support. Dr. Strange, do you think there is a question of whether any sort of compensation should be given for doctors for their service on board flights? You say that most doctors are kind of happy to do it out of the kindness of their heart. But really, there's no other professional, very few other professions who would be expected to be essentially at work while not at work. Yeah, there is something about a doctor that we tend to be at work all the time. It doesn't matter whether you're at the local pub or whether you are on a 30,000 feet. There's all somebody who wants to show you their rash and say, do you think I need to get that checked out? And the, the compensation that goes with it is very often just the kind words and somebody saying thank you. And you very often get a very nice glass of wine or champagne afterwards, although that tends to scupper things and you probably would have got that anyway if you'd have asked. <laughs> but it, it's not something that within the UK we, we have that mentality. And I have to say that there are other regions where the professionalism of being a doctor has been replaced with a work ethic of this is a Monday to Friday clock in, clock out job. The, the vast majority of them, just about everybody I know, chose to be a doctor not because mm. compensation or for those things. They did it because that's what they wanted to be doing. And therefore, I, I don't think many of my colleagues would actually be turning around and handing in a private practice bill for providing that work on the plane. I'm not saying it's impossible, but I don't know any of my colleagues and friends who would have been thinking along those lines. Well, Dr. Strain, I really hope that should I ever fall ill on an aeroplane, that you would be uh, also amongst the passengers to come to my rescue. And thank you very much for finding some time to talk to us. Oh, you're welcome. Something I learned today was that Ethan is amongst those who are nervous when flying. Really? Thanks for bringing that up. <laughs> that surprises me. I know, I know. I always... I, I thought nothing nothing scared you. Dr. Dr. Eddie Cannon also, very nervous flyer. She said she almost had a panic attack at one I often, point. I often do. 
Really? Yeah. Well, now you know what to do. You breathe into a paper bag. Oh, that I can't believe there's actual science. Yeah, yeah. There you go. You'd be annoyed if you were in a medical emergency as a passenger and the only medical person on board was like a dentist. Or a boob job surgeon. Or a psychiatrist. Oh, God, that'd be really annoying, wouldn't Mm. it? Psychiatrists are always a bit weird. Eye doctor. Anthropologist. No, yeah, that's not even a medical. <laughs> <laughs> they might call themselves doctor, though. <laughs> PhD. Is there a doctor in the house? Yes, I am a doctor of... David Beckham. I think you can have a PhD <laughs> in David Beckham studies these days. Right, book me in. We're joined now by Alex Macheras, uh, aviation analyst. Alex, we're talking today about whether it's right that airlines rely on medically trained passengers to step in and help out should someone else fall ill on a flight. And I wondered, from an airline's perspective, are there not other options out there? You know, why is it that they still, to this day, say, is there a doctor in the house and can they, can they pitch in and help? Well, medical emergencies on board, thankfully, uh, um, remain quite uncommon, especially the scale of and the number of flights globally at any one time. It's a relatively uncommon thing, and, and that's obviously a good thing. But naturally, we are starting to see a slight uptick and it is very slight because flights are getting longer we are seeing more long-haul and ultra long-haul flights come onto route networks and of course the longer you have passengers in the confines of an aircraft cabin 15 16 17 hours you are statistically playing with the chances of anything that would ordinarily happen in that period anyway so you know but the the reality is they they do remain uncommon and they're not reliant as such on there being doctors on board or trained medical professionals on board. We need to see that as more of a better than nothing scenario that is in the phase of what is the situation and what will the flight crew respond with in terms of are we diverting, are we not, and so on. And so in that kind of 5, 10, 15 minutes, naturally, anyone who could perhaps offer something that the first aid crew trained perhaps could not, is something that their crew want to know about. And that's why that announcement goes out immediately. Not as a sense of, you know, we need help. This is the situation we've, we found ourselves in, but more actually, you know, who could we be using the, the knowledge of or the expertise of, given that statistically, when you have four or 500 people in an aircraft cabin, statistically, there's going to be more than one doctor on board. And, and so that's why we see that. But to, to go back to your question, we haven't seen the sector move towards these AI options, the artificial intelligence, these connectivity-based solutions like being able to speak to a clinic on the ground and be talked through processes. Yeah, because those things are options, aren't they? They are options and they are solutions available to airlines and I even see them at trade events being marketed to airlines. But the reality is that the industry does move on the side of caution. And if you have a person, for example, presenting chest pains, to the cabin crew, the cabin crew are very unlikely to not take that other than extremely serious. And the usual response from the flight crew is a diversion. Really? So they'll sooner turn the plane round and land it with all the extra expense that that might incur than take a risk or, or try and carry on? Right. And, and, and it is something that the industry has kind of not really debated for a very long time. And I myself was kind of witnessing this firsthand not too long ago on a flight to Madrid we just left Granada and so that flight itself is only around 45 minutes and the moment we were airborne we had been airborne for about three to four minutes there was a scream in the rear of the cabin followed by the crew rushing down to the rear 
and within moments I could hear the chimes that were that was a cockpit call, so a call from the crew to the flight deck. And shortly after that, I could feel that we were now descending. The aircraft was now being placed into a descent, and we uh, we diverted, despite us not being too far away from our destination, and also not being too far away from where we had just departed. And it turned out that actually the passenger had chest pains she had very sudden chest pains sharp she described them and of course the crew were were not going to second guess what she was experiencing the immediate response was to have an ambulance meet her on arrival and that's exactly what happened god how dramatic and so they didn't ask for is there a doctor on board what's interesting is in the first five minutes and by the end of minute five we were already descending an announcement did go out immediately asking if there were a doctor or a medical professional on board so they could make themselves known immediately. And um, there were a couple of chimes, so it seemed that there were at least uh, there was at least one on board, and there was a, a bit of commotion at the back, but the crew handled it, I mean, really, really professionally. And we were actually on the ground probably about 12 minutes later, and the airline the next day sent out a, a message thanking passengers by email for their cooperation in that. And um, also they had said that because the passenger was willing to disclose it, that the passenger was fine, which was quite a nice uh, detail that the passenger didn't need to disclose. But but the airline, I think, did because it was quite an intense 12 minutes, especially given that we had only just departed a few minutes prior to that. Do people refresh their protocols or is it the same protocol that's been in existence for many decades? I mean, how does it work? So there is a real kind of general training that, that has some specific elements to the fact that these situations present themselves in the confines of an aircraft cabin. So that is unlike most everyday scenarios. But of course, crew are first aid trained. They are trained also um, to to be able to deliver babies on board. They are trained for all sorts of of medical areas. But obviously, it's not delving deep into the expertise of of a doctor. Um, and, uh, and, And it's not also something that is that has widely changed. It's not something that we see many airlines try to to skirt around in cost-cutting measures, nor do we see tech-based solutions replace an ordinary response from the crew, despite airlines wanting to accommodate every single inch for passenger bags and for passenger seating. There are still overhead lockers that are entirely taken up by first aid medical equipment. It's definitely something that really hasn't been up for debate in the industry. On that point of uh, medical equipment, I mean, surely there's only so much you can store in an overhead locker. Are there things that are missing? Not really. And, and I say not really, not, not least based on my opinion, but the, the data seems to demonstrate that the priority, usually depending on the outcome, um, and we see not many of these reports, but some of these reports that are publicly released, that the outcome is usually always determined by the response of the crew and that partnership with the flight crew. And that is because the flight crew in almost all circumstances, no matter if they suspect it to be a bit serious or very serious, it's that diversion. And it's usually that and the time and the time it, it takes to coordinate with the airport and the airport being super responsive and allowing the aircraft to make a priority landing instead of you know queuing like every other aircraft inbound. It's that that really determines the, the outcome rather than missing equipment or, or anything like that. The aircraft are pretty well stocked. In fact, most of the time they're quite overstocked, I've heard from, from some airline leaders in terms of what they have on board, because thankfully these situations are uncommon. So it sounds like you feel that rather than there being room for improvement, that the airlines in, in this respect have got things quite well under control. In this sense, I think so, yes. I think that's why we don't hear about it so often, because it's 
it's a pretty polished procedure. And actually, what's unusual about this when it comes to medical medical emergencies is probably the only consistent procedure across all airlines, big or small, low cost or high end, and so on. It really, it really doesn't matter. It's really, really consistent, and it's been this way for for several years, if not decades. Even Ryanair. Even Ryanair. Well, there you go. <laughs> That's very reassuring. Thanks so much uh, for finding some time to talk to us, Alex. No worries. Thanks for having me. Do you think that cabin crew have ever asked if a journalist is on board and can make themselves known to staff? Oh, I bet it happens all the time. Because we're so useful in so many ways. Exactly. In an emergency. We demand the help of a journalist. Do you know first aid? Um, I learnt it when I was about six, so no. Ethan? No. Well, you know that in my elderly state, that at any point I could keel over and you need to, you know, at least... I'm very aware, I worry about it daily. Chest compressions or something. (laughs) (laughs) With shock from reading your surprising opinions. I think the host of Medical Minefield would probably pass as medical professionals, no? If they knew... Actually, surprisingly, we are not medically trained individuals. Although we seem like we know everything... I'd give it a go. I'd give it a go. Deliver a baby? Why not? Yeah. I'm not sure cabin crew are trained to deliver a baby, as Alex said. Maybe they have very basic understanding of, you know, where it comes out of and stuff like that. How hard is it? You know, point and shoot. (laughs) Surely. (laughs) (sighs) Yes, I'm sure that's that's the lesson in medical school. (laughs) Just point and shoot. (laughs) Well, so it would seem like what I mean, what Alex is saying is that the doctors are more of a backup to what is already there, more of a kind of reassurance or just in case something gets very complicated. But the majority of things are are, are quite straightforward to to sort out with with first aid training and uh, first aid plus Mm. or whatever they have. And otherwise they are on the side of caution. Otherwise they turn the plane around. I, I think it's probably not as polished as it sounds. I think it's very easy to say that cabin crew are are well-trained and and prepared for all situations. But the fact is, when a medical emergency happens and these things, you know, are are a matter of life, death in minutes, you you do want your doctor there and the doctor is going to be fully involved and going to be making all the decisions. Or at the very least, a health journalist. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see what we can do. If you want to read all about this and many other health subjects, you can do so in this weekend's The Mail on Sunday in paper format on the Mail Plus app or mailplus.co.uk. We'll be back with another topic on Medical Minefield next week. See you then. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.